Hey, this is Mark Patterson back again with another fantastic episode of Finding Your Summit. So I thought I had done a bunch in my life until I met this guy, Laird Hamilton. This guy is a rock icon in the world of surf. This guy pioneered basically the whole concept of toe-in surfing. So that is the wave is so gigantic that you get on the back of a jet ski and then slowly get off and get towed into one of these monster waves. He's done it a bunch. He's been filmed, videoed, and the highest wave he's actually been in is a 100-foot wave in Tahiti. It's just incredible. So we go through his life, how he grew up in Kauai. He was influenced by his stepfather, Bill Hamilton, and he became a model, was in a bunch of different movies, and is really led a extraordinary life. And so he shifts his homes between Kauai and Malibu, not a bad way to live. He's married to a beautiful woman named Gabby Reese, former professional volleyball player herself and model. And they both have really created a really cool life. So it was so much fun to interview Laird, very generous with his time. We went through the whole thing. And then at the end, started talking about this new project that he's working on, which is the superfood. So it's really taking organic products and making them into something that really what our bodies need, which are things that are organic and grown from the ground. So we go through that and just a fun conversation. So tune in on that. As always, if you want to hear about my climbs, various podcasts that I've done in the past, things coming up in the future. You can do that, www.markpattisonnfl.com. I've got Denali coming up in May, and that should be an amazing climb. Actually, I can use some of these techniques I learned from Laird in terms of breathing to help me get to the top and back down in a very safe manner. Okay, so as always, please go in, rate, review, and if you have any comments, please leave them. If you have any people like Lair or others that fit the profile of what we try to do here on Funding Your Summit, please send me an email. I always return. Okay. So on that note, let's talk to Laird. Here we go. Hey, everybody. It's Mark Patterson back again with a, in this case, epic episode. I know it's going to be with Laird. Hamilton. So I'm so fortunate that I'm beaming today from Hermosa Beach and I could probably get my paddleboard out and start paddling hard all the way across the ocean because he is in Kauai, which is the most beautiful island ever. Laird, how you doing? I'm doing good. It's a little rainy here today, but you know, what do you expect from the wettest spot on earth? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's such a beautiful island. I think they, they filmed Jurassic Park there. Is that correct? Oh yeah. There's a long list. I mean, King Kong and Jurassic Park and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, I, I think the list is too long to remember at this point. Yeah, I was over there, I think, two years ago, and I I hiked the Nepali coastline, and it was a bear. And, I, you know, I do a lot of climbing all over the world, and that, you know, I think it was a 5,000 vertical up and down and up and down, and I think about mile seven or eight, it gets pretty narrow right next to the cliffs, and then you finally yeah. break into that beach. I'm sure you've been out there a few times. I have. I spent a lot of time... That was like our our uh, our idea of Disneyland when we were growing up in the summertime. We'd go down there when the surf wasn't up, and we'd spend a lot of time swimming that coastline and hiking those trails. And I used to ride a drive a boat into the far beach, and then we would run out and we would do that barefoot. You know, that was like because we just we didn't have shoes, but it wasn't because we were choosing to go barefoot. But but yeah, that that coastline, there's nothing like it in the world, and that is a bear. It's the switchback from hell. Some of those ones that you just see the trail that's about, it looks like it's about a mile away, and it takes a you know a couple hours to get there, kind of thing. 
Yeah, the thing that I found fascinating, and again, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going from the mountains, which is my world, into the surf, which is your world, right? And the thing, I, I sat there on the beach, and I spent the night there, I brought in a, a tent, and I was on the sand, and as I was watching these guys who were coming in on jet skis, and yeah. trying to maneuver of getting in and then back out against the surf. And it was so intense. It was great. Yeah, my first job, actually, the first one of my first jobs growing up was bringing backpacks and backpackers in to that beach, and then they'd, they'd camp and then hike out. And so we'd have to land Zodiacs on that shore break. And always going, you know, going back out through the surf is always more difficult because the timing and getting going and before the wave comes and then the chance of you getting knocked back in. You know, coming in is always a little easier because you can get on the back of a wave and kind of follow it in and then slide up the beach. But I spent a lot of time in that shore break and watched a few good boat wrecks in those days. And we didn't have jet skis. Now the jet skis make it a lot easier to be in that environment just because of their mobility and the power. Yeah, it was, it was very cool. So I know that you grew up on Kauai, right? Yes. Yep. So it's amazing that, you know, our influences are shaped. So I grew up in Seattle, Washington, very climbing centric, you know, mountains, streams, water. And so I spent a lot of time in those mountains. I, I climbed Mount St. Helens before it blew its top. But obviously you're now in Kauai. So what was that like, you know, growing up as a kid? And I references, I was thinking about this last night. I went to the University of Washington as well. That's where I played my college football. And yep. we were in the inaugural 1983 Aloha Bowl. And we actually went back again the year before and the year after. And, you know, it was interesting, even though we had Samoan Hawaiian players on our team, it wasn't always a copacetic relationship, you know, with when we got over there and just like there was that group and there was our group. And, you know, there was a lot of fights going on and on Oahu Beach. And, you know, just wondering, you know, you're a six foot, what, three guy, 215. And, you know, how did you mix in with that on that small island? Well, I mean, obviously, it was a little bit like the Wild West, you know, when I grew up out here, because it was... You know, we lived at the end of the road, and so there was a lot of law enforcement, I would describe. It was a little bit more like the law of the land. And I, I had situations where I'd get in a fight at high school, and then my dad would have to have an altercation with the guy's dad. And, I mean, it was one of those things. Everybody was related. and So if you had trouble with one guy, you're probably going to have trouble with the, the next four cousins and the five uncles and the yeah. and all that stuff. So you kind of – you know, I think my stepdad had some pretty good techniques for surviving in that environment. and. You know, one of them was when you're wrong, you take your punishment, you put your head down and uh, you take your punishment like a man. But when you're right, you know, you stand up and you go to the end, you know, and if you're a little bit crazy, that discourages probably half the people. So, you know, three quarters of the people will be discouraged by someone that's a little bit crazy because they you're unpredictable. I call it the unpredictable dog. You know, everybody's, you know, people don't like that. They want to know what they're going to get. And so. I think being a little bit fearless, you know, and, and that also is a mechanism that you can use to survive. I think it was that was something that was, you know, probably helpful for me because I was naturally like that anyway. So to cultivate that as something that I could use as a survival skill seemed natural. That was just like, okay, yeah, I'm a little bit daredevilish by, you know, by DNA. And so if I'm in an environment where I can really kind of cultivate that and it can be, you know, be helpful. You know, I think I use that to my benefit. But, you know, you, you know when to run. You know, you, there's there, when you're outnumbered and outsized, you know, you know, you're not there's nothing. There's no, you know, I'm never too proud to run and run fast. 
away. But inevitably, you run, you're always going to run. So I think at a certain point, you know, it's it's about facing, you know, at the end, facing the challenges, right? So you can you can kind of, I always say that life is a formulaic process. And if you can, formulas you take for success, you can implement into any different field. And, you know, the formulas that I use to survive were probably formulas that have been helpful in my life and to help me survive, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it was, I mean, it seems to be an idyllic environment when you talk about beautiful Hawaii and, but you know, Hawaiians are, themselves were a pretty warrior culture. You know, you're talking about a war, you know, Polynesians are warrior culture. The football players that are Polynesian, the, you know, the success that, that, that they have and the Polynesians with the all blacks. And this is a warrior culture. So when you come into a warrior culture, you better be prepared to be a warrior. Like it's just part of what you're going to deal with. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, you know, certainly I've, I've run into playing in the NFL. You run into a lot of guys who are pretty violent and mean and everything else. And the biggest thing you can do is stand up. And usually that, that bark is bigger than their bravado, right? And yep. so, yep. but when you turn, when you show weakness, man, boom, they come after you. So that's, it's, it's really key to make sure that you, you know, you stand your ground. Absolutely. Well, and you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, dogs like to chase things that run. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you run, you it's like bait, you know, you just create bait where, you know, I know that if the guy realizes it's going to take some work and he might take some shots too, he might not be insanitized. It's too easy to chase something that doesn't fight back. And so if you fight back and stand your ground and, you know, and then be smart, like just don't put yourself, you know, I, I always talk about trying to be above reproach as best you can. You know, we all fall short in our lives from the glory, you know, but just try to conduct yourself above reproach. And when I say that, I mean, don't put yourself in a position where you're going to be wrong and there'll be an excuse to, you know, implement something, you know, to you. Don't bring that stuff on. And and so um, I think I learned that. I think that that was a, you know, you start to learn, like, don't put yourself in positions and don't do things that would justify somebody or multiple people pounding on your head. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, of course. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned before is, is, and I look back on my life and I can say the same thing in certain areas, and that is there's certain qualities that I think have propelled you to some of these big wave, scary, hairy situations that, you know, you've had to stand up and face these things, you know, when maybe adversity or odds were against you and, and just it, it's probably served you well in a lot of different circumstances. Well, one thing about the ocean, at least for me, was a place that was predictable. It was very reliable. Once you were competent in that environment, once you built competence, and competence was built through trial and error and getting to know it and getting to understand it. And once you start to know it and understand it, it's very reliable. It's very predictable, um, which, you know, and the land's not. I mean, I always say, you know, you never know what a human will do. They do all kinds of crazy things with no re- rhyme or reason and no, you know, there's no distinguishable characteristics. I mean, there's just stuff people do that you cannot rely on, you cannot predict. And where the ocean for me was a place that I could rely on. I mean, waves come from the sea to the land and they just, and when you understand them, they do, they're really, really, it's very, it's a very predictable environment, which in a way, I think that was a place I was looking for. I was looking for some, a place of consistency, something that was consistent that I could rely on. And then big waves, you know, what big waves represent, you know, for me was the ultimate challenge, the ultimate, 
you know, in my competency, my, the ultimate test of my knowledge, the ultimate test of my skill, the ultimate test of my courage, you know, that was where I, I would get probably the greatest levels of fulfillment because I could go there in this environment and I could be fulfilled. Like I could go and accomplish something and then come back and feel like, wow, I was able to do that or I made it or I, or I got pounded and I, you know, and I paid for a mistake that I made, but it was really reliable and I really appreciated that. So I want to ask you a question. So a couple of things. Number one, do you think that Bill Hamilton, your stepdad, was he a big influence in you originally getting into the surf and really going down that and finding that passion? No, I mean, I, I was already, I mean, I listen, when I, I, how can I say I was already on that road because he met me when I was, you know, like five years old, but, yeah. or three years old. But the fact is, is that, you know, my mom was from a surfing culture. She, her, one of her best friends was Linda Benson, who was at the time, uh, a lot of stuff around Gidget was, was based on her, on these girls. My mom surfed when she was young. My real father was a surfer. Uh, and so, or my blood father, real father, mm -hmm. he's your real father at the end. Um, uh, you know, so I was in a, and my mom's friends were all surf filmmakers. So I was already immersed in surf culture and looking at surfers. Bill just represented, uh, one of the icons that I was, one of the guys that I was looking up to. And, and then he became my father. Um, but how, how, how did that happen, by the way? How did that connection happen between your mother and, and Bill? You know, I, I'd like, I mean, the, the story goes and my knowledge of it is that I, be, he befriended me. I was at the beach. I, he looked like, you know, somebody that I thought would, would be like what my dad was supposed to look like. Cause I didn't know what my dad looked like or who my dad was. And so I went, well, that guy would be a good, cool guy to have as a dad. He befriended me and then, or I befriended him or something happened. And, and then, you know, he met my mom and fell in love with my mom. And had he known who my mom was before, maybe he befriended me so he could get to my mom. I don't yeah. know. You, know <laughs> <laughs> you never, you never, you never know what men are up to when it's, when it's with a beautiful woman. But the yeah. fact is, you know, that I introduced the story as the story goes of, of, you know, to my knowledge and my mom's and Bill is that I like introduced him to my mom and then to kind of like hopefully make him my, you know, be my dad. And then he ended up, you know, falling in love with my mom and then they got married and he became my dad. You know? So this podcast is called Finding Your Summit. That's all about people overcoming adversity and finding their way, right? Yep. And, and I've had my share, right? And I could go on and on and on and talk about that just a while. I could interview me, right? And talk about that. But the bottom line is for you, I think like in my case, you know, playing in the NFL and starting these different multi-million dollar companies and now doing this mountaineering thing, sometimes people see me as a shiny object when yep. behind the curtain there's a lot of stuff going on, right, just like everybody else. And yep. for you, I, certainly you've had a lot of successes in, in modeling mm -hmm. and have, being involved in a lot of different movie projects and being sponsored and big wave yep. surfing and towing and all this stuff we'll get into but, you know, starting kind of right out of the gate, it sounded like your dad checked out on your family. Yeah. 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 Well, when my mom was pregnant, ultimately. Uh. So it was when I was in the womb, which, you know, if you want to get into it, you can probably say the sensitivity of the fetus. I mean, I, I probably, you know, I was inside my mom knowing that something wasn't right, right? If my mom had the emotions of this guy splitting. So, I mean, I started in that environment. Now, listen, we've all... You know, what doesn't hurt us makes us stronger. And, and we can all, we all can look at all of those, those things. But, but yeah, there was a certain, I mean, my mom had a couple of boyfriends before Bill. One of them used to slap me around a little bit when I was a kid because I had a fearlessness because a protectiveness about my mother from 
probably when I came out, like as a like knowing almost like, hey, you know, my mom, I don't have a dad, so I'm going to be the dad. I'm going to be the man of the house and be protective. And I don't care if you're a year old, uh, you probably already are intuitive enough, you know, to already sense that. And then just be like three years old. And like, there was a guy that my mom dated that was a little bit aggressive and that the stories would go that I just put my head down and run full speed at him. And he just, you know, he, of course, you know, pushed me off because I was three years old or whatever, but I wasn't scared of anybody. <laughs> you know, I, well. I, I wasn't, I wasn't scared. So, and I wasn't scared from when I was little in that way. I mean, maybe I was scared of sharks and other things, but scared of the dark or whatever, but I wasn't scared of people, <laughs> you know, people weren't going to scare me. Yeah. Well, I think the other side of this, again, finding a ver- going through adversity <laughs> and finding your way. So the, the gift out of all this is that you had this wonderful influence. It sounds like with Bill that came into yeah. your life, became your stepfather, but you know, you saw him yeah. as real father and yeah. just, you know, between his surfing acumen yeah. and the way that you had a natural feel for the ocean, for the water, your love of it. I mean, it seemed like it was a, just a natural progression. Well, and all, and, and really, I think, I think the, what really made my, the dynamic with Bill and I unique and the, and the relationship that really cultivated me, but really motivated me was, is the competition of it between him and I. It mm. was, it was more older brother, younger brother. And it became that it, it started pretty quickly like that. Like, and probably right when my brother came, because my brother's the real son of Bill. Yeah. And so. Came like, okay, now I'm not the real son. And so now I'm like, okay, so now I'm going to be, now it's going to be competition. Like I'm going to be competitive. And, and so, uh, you know, our thing was more of a competition driven thing. And, you know, I mean, he, him and I would duel. And I think that drove me in a way that I probably might not have been driven. Um, had I not had that, like, I, I don't think him and I would have had, I, I don't think maybe I would be all that or have been able to do all that I've done. Had we not had some of a fair amount of that, because we had that, you know, clash. Well, it uh, sounds though like it, it's a it was a positive, yeah, competitive situation, right? Absolutely. I mean, a little bit, a little bit uneven because you know of the separation, no, <laughs> the age separation. No, I get. It. But 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 definitely definitely a motivator and a positive, you know, like a and a and a high bar, right? So. I mean, Bill was one of the, you know, in his heyday was one of the, you know, greatest surfers and one of the most beautiful surfers in the world. And so to have that be your competition, <laughs> like, this is your competition, you know, and that definitely, you know, influenced my style, his style and his things drove me as well. So I think there was a, a bunch of, you know, there's a bunch of influences. I mean, as a, as a parent now, you realize sometimes that some of the parenting, you know, some of the best parenting is really not how to be than is to how to be like you can be have, be all cool and your kids are like yeah 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 and then the one thing you do wrong they look at it and they go oh yeah i don't want to do that <laughs> but, exactly but, but, but yeah i've got two girls i think you have two or three right yeah i could have yeah i could have a hundred kids they'd all be girls i've been blessed i'm sure you sure. see it the same way amen yeah amen that means high metabolism that's a high metabolism all the most like they say 90% of top gun pilots, all most of the uh, pro athletes, like 86% of all professional athletes have, all have daughters. So it has to do with hot, warm metabolism, killing male sperm and the female sperm being stronger and surviving and all that stuff. So there's a whole 
there's a whole science behind that. So that's a real thing. So is Bill still with us? He is. He's yeah. still on the island. Mom's passed away. My mom's been gone for 20 years now. This is the 21st year. But Bill's still here. I still get to see him and keep him in the water because that's our place of healing. Yeah. So that's your, yeah, that's your connection point. Your, your mother, I read, um, had an aneurysm, correct? He did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, my, my dad passed away, uh, about five, six years ago now of a stroke and just, it was just awful, right? And it's just, I was close to my dad. I'm sure you're, sounds like you were very protective and close with your mother. And then those things happen and it's just out of the blue, out, out of right field. And all of a sudden, in my dad's case, he lost its whole communication grid. And three months later, you know, it was done. Yeah. 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 Well, that, you know, it's just a reminder again that it's, it's a short sprint down here. And so you got to kind of remember that too. Sometimes we just think it's forever and it just goes so quick. And, you know, you watch your kids go from, you know, you go from being a kid to being an adult somewhat. And then, you know, you see the kids and they just go boom. And one day you're, you're holding them and the next day they're looking at you in the eye. And before you know it, they're off in their own lives. And so it's, it's a, just a reminder that our, our stay here is a, is a short one. Yeah. You know, when my dad passed away six years ago, this is kind of the same moment in time when, when, um, I was going through some other things too, personally with my ex, now ex, and you know, I, I needed to really refill my bucket. And when I, when I, when I was looking towards, and it took me a while because I was in this like low place. And so when that lightning bolt finally hit me, it was like, okay, I want to do something athletically great. And unlike surfing where you can just surf till, you know, you fall over, right? Because yep. it's a, this, that's the way the sport is set up. I knew I couldn't go back and play in the NFL. And so uh, growing up in the Northwest, I was just like, I want to become the first NFL guy to climb the seven summits. So I entered this whole mountaineering and a lot of friends came to me and they were like, are you crazy? You know, you got a family, you got this and that. And I saw this great interview that you had about, you know, what do your kids think about going in these gigantic waves? And, 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 and you and I share the same philosophy around this, which is it's, I really believe, and I, and you said this, so obviously you believe it which is you're really giving them that courage and that commitment about not giving up on your hopes and dreams and living through life through your kids like a lot of parents do. And you're going to still can continue to go out there in the world and just kick butt and, and make it happen. And I, and I love that. And that's what I'm, I'm not doing for anybody besides myself because that's what my love is. But I'm not going to yeah. give it up because, you know, that's what everybody else thinks I should do. Well, for sure. And, you know, we one thing that Gabby and I talk about all the time is and, and we both agree on that you know i think it's at the end i think it's all about your values that's what connects us with people or, or disconnects us with if, is having those similar values but you know your kids didn't ask to be brought into the world you brought them in and so the last thing you want to do is put the guilt of well i used to do all these great things or i used to do these things that really were fulfilling but now that you're here i don't do those it's like well, that's not fair to your kids to put that on them because I, I hear that all the time. Well, you know, before I had kids, I used to be out there and I was doing all this great stuff and I loved it and the things I did, but now I don't do that now because I have kids. I'm like, well, that's crazy because that, you know, well, first of all, you want your kid. I think it's important for them to see you for all who you are. Like, who are you? Like, who is my dad? Who is my mom? Who are these people and what do they do and what does it bring to them? You know, and, and I, I, you know, I love to quote the movie, The Jerk, but it's, it, 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 it's you know find your special Great purpose. movie by the way you know <laughs> yeah. your special purpose like oh. my, I found my special purpose is like find the thing that brings you fulfillment and you can show your kids what it looks like if you have one because it's very rare not a lot of people out there really have found the thing that brings them that real contentment and really that and whether you're whatever you're driven in whatever your passion is I think it's it, it's important for them 
to see what that looks like. Like, hey, that's what it looks like when a, when a person follows their dreams, follows their passions and is driven. And this is what it looks like. That's what it. And so because, you know, that's the best way that humans learn is monkey see, monkey do. Right. Yeah. I mean, we operate. That's like, you know, the four minute mile was broke. And then the next year, 27 people break it. It's because we're the monkey see, monkey do species. And if they don't see it and identify with it, if everywhere they look, they go, let me see relationships. Oh, yeah. You have to be miserable because every relationship people are miserable. Oh, work. It has to be something that you despise because everybody who works does something they despise. It's like these are the examples. And so everybody fits, follows that train right into those things and goes, yeah. Oh, yeah, here's my relationship, and it's miserable. Yeah, because that's what you're supposed to do, because that's what relationships are. Oh, this is my profession. That's what I do. This is what people do. That's, I mean, and, and so at least if you can go, hey, cool, this is what a relationship can be like when people love each other and want to be together. Oh, hey, this is what's great about, you know, doing something that you love and that you're passionate about. And listen, if you're fortunate enough to be able to actually do the thing that you're passionate about for a living, congratulations. Now, if you have to subsidize it, that's great too, because I told people, I go, listen, if I wasn't able to earn, a, have a profession, I mean, modeling and movies and all that stuff, that was just subsidy for surfing. I'm just like, how can I continue to surf? I got to subsidize it. And so if I'm not going to do it with that, then I got to dig ditches and run excavators and pour cement and build houses and or whatever, high tree cutting, whatever it is, I'm going to do it. But, but that means I'm not going to be doing the thing that I love to do and, and I'm not going to be able to refine that art. If I can subsidize it, then I can refine the art. So it's all, you know, I, I think these are all examples for your kids and lead the life that you want your kids to be able to identify with as a potential for them to do. That's what I, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do is as difficult as it, it can be at times. But I just don't want to, you don't want to look back and be like, oh, I should have, could have, would have. There's a whole world full of that. It's everywhere you look. Mm -hmm. and And I think that's why there's so many people that are unhappy because at the end they all have regrets. Yeah. You know, and then that's separate from health and we can get into a whole nother, you know, a whole nother hour long. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. <laughs> well, that'll be podcast number two. But, you know, one of the things that I've learned to do is really create that vision board. And I think that's one of the things you're talking about, right? And I literally, if you come to my, my place in Hermosa, you know, you go into my, my refrigerator and on it, it's got all the mountains. It's, you know, it's where I've been, where I'm going, all those yeah. things, right? And, it just yeah. helps me keep the goal alive. And I think you, you mentioned something oh. that's very, yeah, very purposeful. But, you know, I have to do other things. I work also with a digital media company and I, and I help them out. And, you know, that's just what I have to do right now to pay the bills and make it happen as I fund this, you know, my, my, my travels throughout the world. Absolutely. So there's, if there's a, you know, there's a big, there's a big divide between willing and want, right? Everybody <laughs> wants to be the big wave surfer like Leonard Hamilton, sure. but, but are you willing to do every single thing you possibly can to make that thing happen? And I just see this time and again, time and again, and people just that, you know, the ocean separates in those two areas. No, it's true. Well, and I think it's always interesting to have conversations with people and, you know, they, they desire the glory, right? Or, or what they think is the glory, like they would desire that. But at the end, they are not willing to maybe pay with the consequences. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, you want to be the guy that rode that way, but do you want to be the guy that that wave lands on? Do you want to be the guy that that wave takes and holds down on the bottom? Do you want to be the guy that is training to be the guy that's the guy that gets held down by that wave? I mean, you know, it's like all that. It's like, yeah, everybody wants the, you know, everybody wants the ice cream at the top, but are you really, are you ready to, you know, milk the cow and make the milk and free, you know, it's like do the, 
do the process. And, you know, I think it's, it's easy for a human in general. I think we love to look at the, at the, at you at the top of the mountain and go, wow. Yeah, I want to do that. But are you ready to take every step it takes up that ridge to get to that point? Or do you just want to go right to the top and be the guy standing on the top? Cause I think most people just want to go right to the top and stand there. And they don't realize that really the whole thing behind it is the steps that really the, the, the apex is not, you know, I, I learned, I did a little mountaineering. Um, I got a, a couple exposures, but you realize that the parking lot really is, is the final summit. Like you think the summit's the summit. It's actually getting back down right. and getting home. Like that's the real yeah. summit. Like people don't, sometimes they misconstrue, you know, what the final destination is in, in, in any endeavor or any feat. And it, it, you know, and really for me, I, I think ultimately will be to get through this life, to get to live this life and do all these things and to make it because living is a, it's a, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's complicated. Surviving is not, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, dying's easy. So living, living's tough. Dying's yeah. really simple. You just take about one second and you're done and it's over, but living, that's, you know, that can be, you know, if you're lucky, 80, 100 years. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Well, you know, one of the things that you had said too is just about, you know, doing, taking the necessary steps to get to a, to a, to a particular goal that you have out there. And I've been, I've been put in some pretty hairy situations because guys didn't do what they had to do to put themselves there. They were not physically ready. They weren't mentally ready. You know, we ran into, we've, this is several yeah. times down different mountains around the world. And in this case, you're tethered to these people, right? And so it's just like bad things happen, right? And that whole into thin air, I mean, inexperienced people going into, you know, bad weather, right? Just a whole thing. So, so okay, so I want to tie something back because you said something. Go That's ahead. a human condition, that whole thing that people are trying to skip. They're trying to skip. They're trying to skip the work. And go to this, and go to this, and go to the glory. Skip the work. Oh yeah, don't do the work. Let's just go right to the mountaintop and let's get the thing, or let's go right to the big wave. I mean, it's in every sport, it's in every endeavor, it's in every aspect. Everybody wants to skip the, the what it's going to take to get to just the final to, to, to the thing. And we, you see what that does. It's like give somebody a bunch of money and watch how quick they lose it because they didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned one of your buddies, Bill Romanowski, former Bronco, yeah. uh, I know, Raider sure. linebacker, right? Crazy guy. And Steve Wright, another common buddy of ours who uh, we were teammates at the at the Raider uh, many years ago. But, you know, the one thing about, and you're in this category too, but, I mean, I can honestly say, and I can honestly say at least about Steve because I know him and we've worked out together, yeah. but we love the workout process, right? Yeah. And I've seen you in your pool and doing all this crazy yeah. stuff which I want to get into, but you know, yeah. it's just like to me, that's where the fun is. You know, the touchdown, all that stuff. That's you know, that that's great, but that's a byproduct of your love for the effort, your love for the work. That's just a byproduct. It's like more like fame and success and money. That's are those are just byproducts of passion, of genuine work ethic. That's all. If you don't love it. If you don't love working out and you, and you don't love the training, you're just not going to be able to do it enough. There's just no other way around it. Like you won't be able to do it enough. If you despise the work, you're just not going to – I mean there's rare exceptions of people that are so talented. But how great would they be if they really did embrace – all of that foundational stuff and really do the work that it takes. Who knows the potential, you know? But the fact is, is that if you don't love that stuff, 
you better learn how to love it because it, otherwise you're just never going to, you'll just never be able to do it enough to be successful. Yeah, I was in Sun Valley a couple of weeks ago and interviewed a buddy of mine, Ed Vesters, who's probably the world's, certainly America's greatest mountaineer that's out there. And, you know, he wrote a book called No Shortcuts to the Top. So I think that says it all. You have everything we've been talking about. Absolutely. So let me tie something that you talked about a bit ago, and that was about subsidizing your passion, right, to do the things that you want to do. So, you know, in part of this research that I was doing over the last couple of days, I noticed that you decided to quit school when you were in the 11th grade um, yeah. to pursue modeling, I think, or construction or something. So as you look back on it, you know, like certainly you wouldn't advocate to your daughters, like go quit oh. high school to go. So, so what was going through your mind? You know, I just reached a point with the school system that I was in, the environment I was in, what I was doing. I, I was at a point where it was not, and listen, how do you know you're at a point when you're in 11th grade about anything? But I knew, I knew well enough to know at that point that it was, there was nothing good coming from it. That me going to this school that I was going to, dealing with that environment, and I wasn't going to learn any, any anything more that was going to help me. If anything, I was only going to get in more fights and you know more more stuff. Just it, there was there was this darkness at the end of that tunnel. I just was it was obvious to me. You know, my mom was at that time single again, and so I asked her if I could just if I could you know if she she had to sign me out of school. Which was really, I think, heartbreaking for her because she really wanted me to have, you know, education. She was really wanting to have me to have an education and go to college. And that, I think that meant a lot to her, you know, and so it was heartbreaking on her, but she, but she also knew that it just, I was, I, I just, it was part school, part imprisonment, nothing productive coming out of it. And that I needed to, uh, I mean, this, the real circumstances around it were that there was a, my, my elementary school principal who had been passing kids that weren't educated up to grade got kicked out and then went somewhere else and tenured and then came back and was the principal of my high school and showed up at my high school. And I had had a pretty tumultuous relationship with her in my elementary school. And then she was all of a sudden there and some guy smashed my face in a desk in a math class or something. And then I slammed the guy and threw him out of wind, you know, like a first story window in the class or something like you know, self-defense, but then she was, she uh, suspended me. And the new rule was, you know, both people in altercation were be, to be suspended. I'm like, well, so if I'm sitting at my desk and somebody slams my face in my desk and I get suspended too, and, and the kind of thing. And it was like, that was the mentality. And so I was like, well, you know, I, I mean, 11 hour school days and, you know, it was like, I think I'm good. I think, I think I'd rather go to work and, you did, know. Did you have a plan? I, I mean, certainly those reasons would make sense to me, but did you have a plan? <laughs> Um, my, well, my plan was to go to work and then just keep surfing, just keep, keep focusing on, on the ocean. The plan was to work though, because I knew I wasn't going to, at the end of the day, if I wasn't going to be in school, I had to earn money. So I had to work. And at the time, my mother's boyfriend was a pretty amazing guy and he was a custom home builder. He built these incredible homes himself from scratch all the way through, you know, from the ground up. And so I would work under him and, and, and really what I went to do was go learn that I was going to try to avoid any way I could to not have to do that for the rest of my life unless it was for myself. Yeah. Like, and like, oh, how to do it. I want to do it, but I wanted to try to, you know, I mean, I knew that that was going to be a long road to do that the rest of my life is a, to build homes was going to be tough. But then you get, you got a big break, right? Somebody's standing on the beach. 
Yeah, well, I got I kind of had a multiple. I had a multiple. I had multiple uh, breaks um, along the way. My surfing kind of brought me. You know, I would say in those days, you know, it was like t-shirts and t-shirts and shorts, kind yeah. of um, salary what, uh, and some equipment, and 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 brought me an opportunity. And then Men's Vogue was over here was shooting. Um, on the island, and Walter Yost, uh, the famous Sports Illustrated photographer, Walter was shooting out of a helicopter, uh, shot some surfing, me surfing out of a helicopter at a break on the island where I grew up here, and then the fashion photographer saw the photographs and said, who's this guy? And they said, oh, that's Laird, and then that guy called me, and, and then they shot, and then he introduced me to Bruce Weber, and then Bruce Weber uh, had me shoot for GQ, and uh, yeah, and then that, that kind of that kind of began that process. That's awesome. I mean, it, it, you're a guy's guy, so you're not, you know, at least I don't perceive you as, you know, when you start talking about model, like you're that type of, you know, whatever, but... But I mean, it's very cool that you've been able to survive it in that way, and and that's been it's really fun uh, funded your your lifestyle in for many years, right? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I went from that, so subsidizing that to windsurfing came around. I started windsurfing. Somebody heard about me. The guy flew over, windsurf with this guy. He said, "Hey, you want to be a speed sailor?" I said, "Sure." I went to, I, I flew to, I went and moved to Maui, trained for six months went to Europe and I broke a European speed record in windsurfing. Then I got sponsored by a windsurf company. I mean, listen, I, as, as I've had like a fairy tale Cinderella story, you know, 10 different ways. And again, always going back to my passion, which was all of this was meant really just to subsidize my surfing, to keep me in the ocean and, and ultimately focused on big wave riding. And, and I'm still, you know, I can say I just turned 54 and my focus hasn't changed. I'm still focused on, riding giant surf and and ways I can ride it better and ways to train for it. And, and I've started some companies and, you know, I have my creamer business is, is exploding right now. And some of these other uh, projects are exploding and they're, they're helping subsidize. It's just, it seems like I've been, you know, able, and I'm not sure, you know, and I, I'll, I'll only be thankful and appreciative, but you know, I, I, you know, I have a saying where there's a will, there's a Sally, like, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. It's like when you really have a passion and really believe in it and live true to it and go after it, then it, it, it seems that in life that, you know, things can get, you know, things happen to help support that. Like, you know, when you put the time in and the, and the effort and the, and the genuineness uh, in your pursuit, then, there, then there, then it seems that, you know, that, that, and not always, of course, not always, but, but it seems that a lot of the time, you know, the means will be made for you to be able to continue to pursue it. You know, the means will be provided like you just have to believe like you just have to believe you have to have the faith of believing, you know, the because uh, 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 I grew up around Hawaiians and with Hawaiians, too. And I think that's one of my things that I have. Like I have this, you know, you see me blonde hair surfer guy, but I grew up like a Hawaiian. Like mm -hmm. I grew up with Hawaiians like Hawaiians and. You know, I always say, you know, looking white and thinking brown. But, you know, and I remember the, the old man telling me one day, you know, he goes, hey, boy, you know, boy, boy, you can't eat your surfboard, boy. You can't eat your surfboard. And I just remember what, he, you know, that he was saying that. And, and I think that taught me one thing is that never that that you're never going to not work, that working will never. And my mom was an incredibly hard worker. I mean, ridiculous, 16 hours a day, six days a week. My mom worked like, I don't know, I've never seen anyone with that output except that they're, 
you know, one of the top CEOs in, in the biggest companies in the world where they just, you know, they just eat, drink and live the thing in a way that, you know, that's why they are what they are. Yep. And, and, and I just realized, you know, Hey boy, you're not going to eat your surfboard. Like never sit back on your laurels. Never be comfortable with like, Oh yeah, that happened or this happened or I got a sponsor. I mean, listen, when I had sponsors, I was still working and doing other stuff and I'm on machines. I'll be on machines. See, I was on machines, you know, all day yesterday. I'll be machines today. I mean, I'm going to be on machines tomorrow. I'm going to be digging. I'm, I'm all, I'm never going to stop any of that because I, I feel like that all of that feeds towards the ultimate mission, right? It's all feeding towards that. And listen, now I, you know, I, I, I have, a, I, I laugh because I say now, now I subsidize my, you know, my excavating with surfing and yeah. before you <laughs> excavating, yeah. but you know. No, that's cool. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about is when preparation meets opportunity. And, and you know, so if I would jump on a surfboard right now, which I don't know what I'm doing or or, or, or uh, windsurfing, I know a little bit about, you know, I've done. But, you know, the difference between you and me is a, is a big gap. And, and it's because you're out there every day working at your craft. And then that has put you in a position of success where these people now want to go and be aligned with you and what you're doing. So it makes total sense to me. So getting into the waves, where did the whole big wave thing come in? I mean, you know, again, there was nobody doing it, and you were kind of the pioneer around that. I mean, how? Where did that whole thing come from? And and by the way, I saw I was flying I was flying back from um, somewhere a couple of weeks ago, and I I was on a on this plane. They had one of these little movie sets right in front of me, right? Movie called Chasing Mavericks, which I'm I'm sure you've seen. And yeah. I watched it, and I didn't know anything about Mavericks. And I mean, I was like a little teary at the end, right? I mean, it was a great movie. I loved it. So a little plug yeah. for Chasing Magic. But, but I'm sure you've, you, you've surfed up there. But I mean, some of these waves are just terrifying. Now, from you, you know, going in and, you know, you're a little guy and you've got little waves. And then as you get bigger, you go bigger waves. And I mean, is that what the purest surfer is always after? Is where's the biggest wave in the world go after? No, I mean, you know, my, my, uh, Bill, my stepdad's, you know, he, he always said when I was growing up that big wave riders are born and not made, that you have that desire in you. And there's, you know, honestly, there's a percentage of guys that love to ride giant surf that don't even ride small surfs. And some of them aren't even very good surfers, but they just have, they're drawn to that mad, that power and that energy. And, you know, and, and I imagine it's, you know, it's similar in climbing. It's similar in, Certain, you know, it's like, why do some guys love downhill? Like, they're just, they do downhill. They don't, they, they only know, they don't even want to do anything else except just go as fast as they can down a giant mountain. And then some people love to do turns and some people are in the moguls. And I mean, everybody has a different discipline that they're attracted to. And, and I think big wave riding, from my perspective, represented the apex. That for me was the pinnacle and that everything else was, kind of not a compromise but it was just below that peak that big represented the biggest challenge and that and then ultimately the biggest challenge represented the biggest skill uh and through experience and and fitness preparation and you know when i was growing up the, the you know there was a group of big wave riders on the north shore of oahu that i looked up to there was a few men that were like the guys that rode the giant surf and they were like the guys and i was like those were the guys that i wanted to be like i'm like yeah, Jose Angel, Butch Van Artstalen, you know, these are the, you know, Greg Knoll, uh, Eddie Icao, I mean, Warren Harlow. I mean, there's like a group of guys that were like, they were the guys and they only, and some of them didn't even go out unless it was, you know, giant. And then, I mean, these are the guys that go in the water 
when they're evacuating the beach and they're telling everybody, you know, okay, the road's closed and the beach is closed. And that's when they go out. Like they wait for that day to go out. And so anyway, big wave riding just represented the pinnacle of the whole thing. And, and, you know, and then watching the competitive aspect of surfing kind of emerge in, cause that's when I was around when it was just emerging because the competition side had really just a big portion of the great surfers when I was growing up were, there was no contest. There was no tour. So that didn't even exist. And so they were known just because of their, their performances that they performed at a level that they were just automatically some of the best surfers in the world. And so it just represented, you know, and then, and then contests, you know, that you'd go to, you know, I watched the world championships at Huntington beach and it'd be like a foot high and they, they, they give the title to the world champion to somebody riding a wave that was like up to my knee. I was like, I go, that was confusing to me. I was like, well, okay, that's the world champion. And then you're going to go out and it's going to be knee high. Like I would, that would be a day I would probably not go surfing. I would just, I would be like, oh, I'll take a day off. It's small. Is that the reason why you never really got into the surf contest? Yeah. I mean, a competition, a, a combination of a bunch of reasons stemming from, you know, my kind of, naturally aggressive competitive nature not so great for the format judgment not so great watch my dad go through some pretty you know being a free surfer and then subjecting his performances to judgment and then seeing how devastating that was to him um, watching judgments that were so confusing that you were like how did you even decide that that guy won oh, a combination of all of those things um, probably probably the you know probably the most critical one is I just don't like to be told what to do Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is that they tell you when to go out and they tell you when to come in and then they tell you how you did. I'm like, yeah, I go out when I want. And then when I come back, people can tell me how I did or I'll tell myself how I did. I'll get in and I'll be like, did I do good? I felt good. I did good or I did not. I didn't do good. And at the end, just loving the fear of it, loving the, you know, the power and the nature of giant surf. Just love it. What's the biggest wave you've been in? Is it the one in Tahiti? Foot surf. We've been in, in conditions that the surf was, was excess of a hundred feet. So, I mean, <laughs> I, around. That's, that uh, is insane, dude. Yeah. Well, it's insane. You know, I call that the giant. That's like Jurassic Park stuff. When you go out there and run with the, with the dinosaurs. I mean, these are, I always tell people, I go, listen, dinosaurs are dead, but when the surf's a hundred feet and you go out in it, they're alive because that they're like dinosaurs. I so, mean, it's, so was it your idea that the only way you could get into those waves is by being towed in? Is that how that yeah. whole concept came around? Yeah, because we had been windsurfing and using the power of the wind to get on these giant waves, but we were encumbered by the sail. And so we were trying to figure out. And then when there wasn't any wind, you couldn't do it. And so we were figuring out trying to get around that concept came from. It came from the whole concept of using power to get on the wave and then being able to ride that. And that, I mean, that really has revolutionized what we can ride. So it's allowed people at this point to ride much bigger waves than anybody could physically paddle into, even though the paddling limit is being pushed there and we're, we're, it's being driven and, and we're, you know, part of what's helping drive the paddle limit is also not only the, the talent of the athletes, but it's also being driven by the fact that that we've ridden bigger waves, so we know it's possible. So the fact is, is that possibility, the monkey see, monkey do thing, where you know we've been on these giant waves, we can ride them, so we know we can ride them. So now we can try to to manually catch them, but it, it, it's pretty cumbersome to use those big boards and do it the conventional way. What's the conversion point of where you can paddle in and then when you get to X amount of feet, there's just no way you can paddle in anymore and you need something mechanical power to, to tow you in? Well, that varies on the wave. You know, like if you go to Tahiti, Tahiti's 
because of the way the Tahiti wave is, it doesn't really grow that much taller. But the fact is the way the wave breaks, it just has so much water moving up the face that you're not able to physically get yourself down it to catch it. And, you know, but as soon as you get, you know, into if you just talk standard wave, standard procedure, as soon as you get into 50 foot face, you know, what we call 25 foot, you know, 25 to 30 foot, that's like the line, you know, that's the line where 50 foot face, 60 foot face, that becomes the line of no return. Like you just can't. And then that's only on the perfect day with the perfect conditions. If there's any wind wrong or bad chop or other other variables, then it makes it so you can't, you know, it, it happens even sooner. So you get in that way. How do you get out? You complete the ride. You make it, you ride the waves till you get to an exit. And which is part of the art of surfing, obviously, uh, is the ability to be able to maneuver yourself in a place where you can exit, exit the wave. And that's, I mean, that's the whole objective, right? Is to take it, ride it, and then finish it in the safe zone. Like ultimately when it ends. So hopefully all the power has been dissipated and then you can exit before it exits you, you know? Yeah. So our common buddy, Steve Wright, former Raider, teammate of mine, I know he's been out training with you in uh, Malibu, right? At your other home. And we hooked up one night in Manhattan Beach and he was so excited about, you know, some of the training he's been doing down there. And one of the reasons why he thought it'd be applicable to me is because in the mountains, it's all about breathing and regulating, obviously, your breath. It's all about mm. oxygen intake, and so many people aren't able to get to those higher levels, you know, elevations, just because their body, their chemistry. And, but there's also a lot of things that you can do around that to reduce the risk of having any kind of issues, you know, when you get up high. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, fortunately for me, I've not had many issues, but I keep going higher and higher and higher, just like, you know, these, some of these yeah. waves. And so we haven't done it yet, but he was talking to me about breathing. So in the case, you know, relevant to your sport, I mean, it yeah. certainly makes sense that, you know, a lot of times you're not always going to have that successful ride, that successful exit. And so you end up at the bottom and you guys stay down there for a while. So yeah. is that where you started this whole breathing technique? You know, I mean, I've been so breath aware because of obviously the water in the ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no air, no air below, yeah. air above. You have to be, you know, you have to, your relationship with how important air is is pretty established quickly. You know, drowning is a very, you know, defining thing to make you aware of breath. So I've been, uh, you know, I've been exposed to breath work and, and, you know, different breath techniques for years, but had never really pursued any kind of real kind of strict routine in, until I got exposed to the Iceman, that Wim Hof. So, Anyway, the ice man, Wim Hof's work, I got exposed to his work, which exposed that brought me into Tumo, where a lot of his work came from. And then I was already doing hypoxic training. So I've been doing a lot of hypoxic training and I've been training with resistant masks and some other stuff. And then it just, it just opened up from there. And then I started going in all these different directions. And, and, you know, the one thing about pool training, that's nice is it's what it is. It's, it's, you know, you breathe when you're up and you can't breathe when you're down. And so depending on how long you're down and how long you're up, you know, you just really get into these breathing patterns. And so all this breath work has just kind of opened up my whole mind to breathing. And, and uh, there's a couple, um, you know, and, and it's, it's, uh, I mean, you really see, you know, you know, your VO2 max and you can, you can, I mean, there's a bunch of great things that you can do with breath work that, that have a profound effect on your health and just on your life. 
Well, so next year, 219, my plan is to head to Everest, and it's about a 14- to 7-day trek from Kathmandu all the way up to the base camp. And so I've got some former NFL players, some uh, Navy SEALs are going to go, and you need to be on that trip with us, right? Practice put that, that, that all that breathing to, to the test. To the test, absolutely. Be great. Absolutely. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds like a long trek. It's awesome. Well, I'll be up there for three months. I mean, in 14 days yeah. is nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So where do you go from here? I mean, you've you've accomplished so many different things in your life. And, and before you answer that question, I, I just remembered something I also want to jump into is this superfood. I'm really intrigued about that because so much of what I do in the mountains, I mean, it, it's one thing about physically being ready. It's mentally being ready. But I learned the hard way, you know, your diet and what you're putting mm-hmm. in. And the higher altitude you go, your appetite is being suppressed. Right, but you're yep. burning twice as many calories, and so it's just yep. this constant battle of trying to like ingest stuff, right? Yeah, tricky position. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about your your superfood project you have going on. Looks really cool. Well, I mean, the, basically, the layered superfood is is started out of my love for coffee. Ultimately, that's where it comes from, and then it's using the ingredients that I have been playing with in my coffees over the years, and then trying to make up, and then ultimately making a product around that. And then sharing it with people and people just loving it and, and the effect it's had. And, you know, it's all, I mean, it's all about healthy fats, basically, and then high nutrient dense, you know, and high mineral dense and high nutrient dense ingredients and all whole food ingredients. So there's certain, we have certain kind of, I call it our value system that, you know, we always use whole food ingredients. You know, we try to do as minimum amount of processing as you have to, but still make products that can last that people can get and, you know, and have it not be something that, you know, it's great for five seconds and it vanishes and then you don't have it, you know, that kind of thing, or it goes bad, you know, in in an hour. So that's the basis of it. And then I have all these coffee creamers and then I have these hydration products that I've been using that I use. I use all the stuff authentically myself. It has a profound effect, works very, very well. Yeah, I want to uh, talk to you when we get done here about some of the things I can take up to, to uh, Denali, which I head up there in late May. So yeah. I want to make sure there's I... Some, there's some great stuff for you. I got this new beet hydrate that we're making, this coconut water calcified sea algae that's pretty incredible. Helps you absorb oxygen, coincidentally, which might be useful for you. <laughs> you think? <laughs> and then a bunch of minerals and high potassium and calcium and some really highly absorbable minerals, which dehydration really is... You know, I, I have a theory about dehydration being really related more to new uh, mineral loss than actual water. You know, like everybody thinks, oh, hydrate, you need the water. But the water doesn't do anything if it doesn't have the minerals in it. And, and it's all about the electrolytes and the minerals. And so there's some and, – and really, you know, at the end, this stuff's real simple stuff. It's not so complicated. It's like everybody tries to make stuff so complicated. It's not complicated. You just have to go get it in nature because nature created the – you know, nature – Got through the complication over, that's what millions of years will do for you. <laughs> Absolutely. So so where do you go in the yeah, the world of, of water? You know, the surf and tow-in and hydrofoil surfing and things like that. Where where, where do you yeah. want to go? I'm in the hydrofoil right now. Like my, right now, the, hydro, the hydrofoil, the foiling is just wide open. It just opened up the world for us because we're able to use the wave's energy like unlike we've ever been able to now we can tap into it in a way and use the power of a wave a lot uh you know like we're if you're riding giant waves you're just spilling power everywhere right you're just you're just trying to scrub power you don't even you you know it's like it's like having a really inefficient motor 
you know, and then just, you know, half the, half the fuel's going out the exhaust. Now with foils, we're able to tap into the energy of the wave and really use all the power. And so now we don't really need much of a wave to go fast. And, you know, I, I always really enjoy goals that are real defined, you know, fast, high, big, long. Those are really, you know, that's some really clean, that's nobody's opinion there. Like there's nobody opinions in that's, you know, that's 10,000 meters, you know, okay. That's, you know, I mean, or whatever, there's no opinions. And, and so I like those kind of goals. So when I talk about that, I talk about fast, like how fast can we go? How far, how long, how big? And those things just are always out there in my scope. You know, those are always, you know, last summer I was able to go to Chile and ride, or actually I was in Peru. I was in Chile for snowboarding, but I was in Peru for uh, twice during the summer. And we rode this wave that's said to be the longest wave uh, in the world, but we were actually riding it twice as long as the actual wave because we could catch it earlier and ride it further. And we were, we rode waves for six and a half minutes and more than two and a half miles, one, one ride, which, um, you know, a mile long ride in surfing would be a world record at, at a certain point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, we have another a place, there's a giant wave here that I wait for. And, you know, like this season, it hasn't even been, we haven't ridden it. I think we rode it one time only, but, but, you know, we went, we would 50, 52 knots, 53 knots, 54 knots. So, I mean, we're able to do some of these kind of, we're, we're these scalable achievements that that are keeping my my enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. So so last question for you, and this is just my own yeah. my, my own interest in 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 things in the water, and that's the 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 little man in the gray suit, right? Yeah. So as much as you've spent, yep, as much as you've spent in the water, have you had any issues with uh, sharks swimming around you? You know what? They're ever present. I mean, it, 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 it's you feel them. I think I've been in the ocean long enough to feel them, like to know when they're there, when they're not there. I mean, if you if you said to me, how many sharks have I seen in my life? I mean, if I thought about how long have I been in the, you know, in, in the ocean? I mean, 50,000. I might be in the ocean for 50,000 hours. I don't mm-hmm. even know the amount of time that it, it could be more. I've seen 10 in my life, yeah. 10, 10 sharks. Uh, you know, I've seen some big ones up close seen big hammerhead been up with a giant mama hammerhead i've I've had a i had a huge tiger come swim by me you know a a giant one like my my board fit between its tail and my 12 foot board fit between the you know the middle fin and the back fin so you can just decide how long you want it to be (laughs) you know and 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 you know and i've been and then i've been around cool little leopard ones and thresher sharks and you know and 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 black tips and I mean, but they, but I mean, I can count all those. Those yeah. are so, you know, in my relationship, but I'm also not spearing fish, you know, in their turf and taking, you know, and, and, and competing with them for food, but they're ever present. They're an ever present. And maybe just a reminder, like a reminder, which I think that we as a species have forgotten that we were prey at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, that we're, <laughs> we're, we're in the food chain. We were in the food chain at some point and i mean we're not good eating that's why they're not eating more of us they really don't want to eat us we're not but it's a good humble position to be in and and believe me nothing like you know a lonely dark evening or someplace way out in the middle and you're out swimming you know swimming back in from you know breaking your kite rig or your windsurfer and you're a mile out and you're out there swimming thinking yeah i don't know if i really love this (laughs) But this position of vulnerability, but you know, that, that, I don't know. I just, I mean, I don't want to subject myself to it, but I know 
that it's probably pretty healthy a sensation for us to feel vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I think it's, I mean, it, it, it's something that maybe realigns your priorities and kind of puts everything in perspective. But listen, the sharks are an amazing creature. I'm in awe of them. They're the cleaners in the, of the sea. And without the, without them, we're not here. I mean, you know, there's some statistics about sharks, like they're older than trees and, you know, they got some stuff about them that we can't even comprehend their, how an amazing, what an amazing creature they are. And I, I mean, they get a bad rap and we're, mur- you know, they're murdering on, you know, hundreds of millions of them a year right now for shark fins soup just because it, they think it has some kind of aphrodisiac power or something. And it's just, it, I mean, it's just, you know, in a way I become more protective. And if you've ever met anybody who's been attacked, which I have quite a few people I know that I don't know. I mean, I know them. I met people that had been bitten and every single one, I don't think I've ever met one that became more scared of them. They actually became less scared. Yeah. There's a guy I had on the pod months ago. His name is Mike Kutz and he's a guy that lives in Kauai and he was boogie boarding. He's about 300 yards offshore, wherever that is. And he was with a buddy and this tiger shark came up and just like a submarine emerged from deep and just took him. And, you know, so now he's inside this gigantic 15 foot tiger and he's punching his, his, his snout and he releases him. And, and so, you know, his buddy, of course, is freaking out. So he takes off. And so he starts to paddle. He's not going anywhere. He turns around, and realizes that he just took off half his, his from knee down. Uh-huh. So it goes through that whole story, but. But, I mean, he is now an advocate for shark safety. Everything you just said about, you know, now the, you know, these other countries are out there slaughtering, you know, millions of sharks for for just the fin or something. So he's done actually some really good work around that. So fascinating well, conversation. All the biggest advocates that I know of for shark protection and shark preservation, there's a huge group of people that have been attacked. And, you know, I mean, listen, at the end, we're in their territory and, you know, and why is it that when people are attacked, they become big advocates to protect them? I mean, that just doesn't, you know, because somewhere within there, they realize it wasn't personal. I think, I think that it, that something happened. Now, it doesn't mean, listen, it's a very, a giant animal with teeth that's so efficient like that. If that doesn't strike fear into your blood, nothing does. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like that they're for real. Like, like, <laughs> like, you know. I mean, I don't, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I, sometimes you just, I'll feel them and I'll just go in. And then somebody will go, Hey, did you hear what happened? And I go, Oh no, what happened? They go, Oh, there was a giant shark. I go, man, I felt that thing out there that day. I just went in. Like I could just feel them like, Oh yeah, I feel that guy's around here somewhere. The big, the big boy. Well, you can uh, certainly appreciate what I would feel like when I had to go across the middle and running a lot was sitting there. So that'd be my shark, you know, on the other end waiting for me. You know, just Absolutely. crack me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So listen, much appreciation to your lovely wife, Gabby Reese, who set this whole pot up. Much appreciation to you. I know we're, we're cut from the same cloth in many different ways in terms of our workouts. I think you've got, you've taken it to a different level in terms of more creativity. I'm still out there every day, but if ever the time where I can come and, and share the pool with you and we, we can work on the weights and I really want to get this, continue to work towards this breathing thing because it's going to help, yeah. especially in the next 12 months. Love to do it. I think you need to get the oxygen advantage first thing and do that. If you haven't read that book, I would do that right away because all that nose work, all that nose breathing stuff is so critical. When you read the book, you just completely like it just opens your whole mind around, you know, around the way we work and that how the nose nose breathing is is so important for the efficiency of our breath work and and all that, but it'd be great to have you up at the house and, you know, get Mr. Wright to drag you up and come play with us, come do some ice and heat and 
you know, stuff you're used to at this point. Absolutely. Love that. So where can people find you? And as important too, is I want to, um, this whole layered product line that you've developed. Yeah. So the best place to look at, at the creamer stuff is, is just go to lairdsuperfood.com. And that's right now we're at a big trade show down in Los Angeles, but that company's got some great stuff. I mean, you can go to Amazon, but it's easier just to order directly from our site and just try that, try those creamers out. Cause you, even if you're not a coffee drinker, you can use it. In, I mean, you've got cacao and turmeric and all this other great, all these other great superfoods. And then, and then I'm on Facebook and, uh, you know, all the other social sites. And then we have that XPT, you know, all our fitness program yeah, stuff. Love that. XPTlife.com. That's another great spot. But yeah, one will lead you to the other one, but we do have a presence on the internet. That's XPT. great. It's awesome. So, all right, listen, we're going to put all this stuff on the show notes. I'll let you know when this is coming. And, you know, we ended the conversation with sharks. And uh, I can tell you the entire time I was at peace because I heard all these beautiful birds chirping in the background. So it's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Aloha. Hey, and thank you so much for listening to the Find Your Summit podcast. We are so glad to have you along for this journey. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend, share it on iTunes, spread it to the planet. We're looking to broadcast this to every person that is out there because, as you know, everybody has their own summit that they're going after. If you're looking to follow my journey, you can find that through my social links on markpattisonnfl.com. That's Mark, M-A-R-K, Patterson, P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N, NFL.com. So, until the next podcast, just remember, clear eyes, full hearts, and remember, it takes a little more to make a champion, so make it happen. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.